This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Welcome back, everybody, and I'm incredibly excited for the final 20 minutes of our session here with Fadzi Wandi from the United Nations. She's dialed in all the way from Geneva, so Fadzi, just to check that you can hear me loud and clear. I can. Can you hear me? I can, and I'm seeing you for the first time as well, so <laughs> nice to see your face. I know when we caught up a couple of weeks ago via WhatsApp, you had literally just arrived in Geneva from Perth, so you weren't sure where you were in the world or what time yeah. zone you were in. <laughs> But uh, uh, what became clear over our, our sort of 10-minute discussion is how um, your passion for the subject is incredibly infectious and, you know, I left that call incredibly optimistic. Um, although I spent the first uh, half of it, I think, trying to pin your accent and work out where you're from. You're, you're quite literally the global citizen, having spent so much time around the world. But I don't want to eat into your time. It is precious, and I'm sure we're all very much looking forward to hearing what you have to say. So over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I am very passionate uh, when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And, you know, it's one of those areas that I say to people, I never really set out to, you know, get into this work. I feel like the work found me. And like you rightfully said, you know, a lot of those experiences. So just before we dive deep into everything, uh, first of all, a huge welcome to everyone who's watching. I am currently in Geneva, but I was born in Zimbabwe. I did primary schooling in the in the U.S., and moved to Zimbabwe, then moved to Botswana, moved to the UK, and then spent the last 16 years in Australia. So now I'm in Geneva. And I've seen a lot of changes when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And I think the biggest challenge for a lot of people has always been defining what we mean by diversity and inclusion. And I think sometimes we think that people know what we're talking about, but they're very different things. And we often use the terms interchangeably. So before we build on that and really focus on inclusion, I think it's important for us to actually understand what we're talking about when we talk about diversity and inclusion. And I always like to give the analogy of baking a cake. And so for those of you who are bakers, you have to forgive me. I'm not a baker. So if I butcher the process, forgive me. But if if you think about baking and if you think about all the ingredients that go into making a cake, you have your flour, your eggs, your milk and sugar. Now that represents diversity. Diversity is all about difference. So even when we have panels where we only have white middle-aged men and we see those hashtags, where people are saying, where's the diversity? That's actually not accurate because diversity is about difference. So even on a panel like that, we can drill it down and find diversity, whether do they have hair or don't they have hair? Do they have partners? Do they wear glasses? So diversity, there's always going to be diversity in any given situation by the nature of the definition. And so if you think about still using that analogy of baking a cake and you think of those ingredients, now when we mix those ingredients together, that's the inclusion. Inclusion, right? So when we talk about inclusion, we're actually talking about an environment where all those individual differences, you know, the act of bringing together and harnessing differences in a way that is beneficial. So when we're mixing all those ingredients together, that is the act of inclusion. Now, the end product, the cake, is the belonging. 
And this is where organizations want to get to, to a place where you can create a sense of belonging. And I think for too long in our industry, we focus on making diversity the destination. And diversity is not the destination, should never be the destination, because at any given time, we will always have you know, diversity. And so if you think about even the act of baking, terms we often use is equity and equality. And so a lot of the times we talk about gender equality, we talk about you know, creating uh, fairness uh, and meritocracy. But if you think about the ingredients, again, if we're to put fresh milk and margarine or butter in a pantry on a hot day, wherever you find yourself, that would melt. And so you put those ingredients in the fridge to keep them cool. Now, that doesn't mean that they're more important than the flour or the eggs, but we're recognizing the characteristics are different. And so when we start to do that, that's when we start to talk about equity. And I think when we talk about diversity and inclusion as it pertains to human beings and not ingredients, what we're saying is we recognize that historically, you know, there's been challenges and barriers that certain groups have faced. And so we need to, in everything that we do to create an inclusive environment, we have to create an equitable environment, recognizing those challenges and those historical things. So we see that when we talk about gender, when we talk about race, you know, people with disability, trans women, et cetera. And so then the groups go on. And I think that's really a great starting point. But one of the things that a lot of organizations are moving to is creating this inclusive environment. And what does that look like? You know, we talk a lot about diversity, but what do we mean when we talk about inclusion? And I think it's really recognizing that everybody has something that of value to bring. It's about creating that equitable environment. It's about making sure that we're creating psychological safety. Again, a big push at the moment is creating environments of psychological safety. And when we think about psychological safety, basically what we're saying is that it's about creating the right climate and the mindset for people to be able to thrive. And if you think about inclusion, I always say inclusion, you see diversity, we can fix diversity through policies, through strategies, through initiatives, because diversity will mandate and we can even implement targets. So when we talk about diversity, we can basically say we want to get 50 percent women or we want to achieve so much or we're going to implement quotas or targets or any affirmative action kind of initiative that fixes diversity inclusion has to do with mindset and behavior and that you can't mandate you know you can't write a policy on telling somebody how to behave well and this is where leadership and inclusive leadership become important because as an inclusive leader it's about how you model and how you reinforce this. You know, how are you leading? And so added to that, what we're seeing is more and more people are putting a demand for us to be inclusive. And I think that in your area, when we talk about investment, it is about, when we think about diversity inclusion, it is around, are, do we have an industry where everybody has access to it? Or is it only for a specific few? When we talk about investment, um, are we making it accessible to every single person? Is it only for those who are high earners? Or can somebody who is passionate about making certain investments participate in that? And I think this is a question where we start to see where inclusion, where psychological safety become important. Because what we're saying is that 
in everything that we do, regardless of every, any industry? Is it an industry where anybody who wants to participate, who wants to engage, has the ability to? And I think that if we think about it from that aspect, we will begin to understand you know, the measures that we need to take to create a more inclusive environment and create that psychological safety. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, but you know, human nature and interpersonal relationships are not easy. I find it in, uh, interesting that when we come to the workplace and we talk about all the differences that we encounter as people, we forget that even in a family, like I have three brothers, I don't love them all the time. Well, I love them all the time, but there are times where they annoy me and you know, we will have fights and all, but I'm committed to it. And so I'm committed to that relationship. And so in a work environment, we expect people to just come in and just love each other. And the reality is we're all different and we should be able to have those differences in an environment where the cancel culture isn't there. And, you know, the, the fact that if you don't agree with me, if you don't have the same perspective as me, then that means I don't want anything to do with you. And remember that people bring who they are into the workplace. And so what I would love to sort of leave with you is that as a leader, as an inclusive leader, just what I call my ABC, you know, it is about your attitude, it's about your behavior, and it's about compassion. So are you exercising empathy? And I think that if we can be leaders that exercise that, we can truly start to create the inclusive environment that we want. We champion diversity and inclusion, not because, you know, we have to make a case for it. I hear a lot of men saying, you know, well, I have daughters or I have this. We shouldn't have to make a case for diversity. Why? Because our world is diverse. If I was to ask every single person listening here to say, how many of you got to choose the color of skin that you came into the world before you were born? You know, raise your hands. Obviously, none of you would. And if I said, how many of you got to choose the country you were born? What about your parents? You know, your nationality. So a lot of the things that divide us are the things that we have no control over. And with that same breath, when we're talking about it, we also have to brace this whole notion of privilege because if we're saying that we have no control over our diversity factors, then we have no control over the privilege. It is how we use them. Again, it becomes the attitude, the behavior that we display. And that's what inclusion is, you know, really looks to do. So if I can leave you with anything, it is just to remember the ABC, to constantly ask yourself, what is my attitude? What is my behavior? And am I showing empathy? Am I showing compassion? Because all of us have different experiences. And I think if we can exercise that, we can begin to create an environment that is more inclusive where people can start to feel a sense of uh, belonging. And that's pretty much all I have time to, you know, sort of like unpack. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Fadzi. I know you, you have a wealth of knowledge to draw on and could go on for probably a couple of hours about this. And I did limit you to 15 minutes, so I can steal you for a couple of, of Q&A. So when we start a new group, we get a, a starter's handbook that gets drilled into us that we, we treat clients fairly, whether it's one rand or a billion dollars. I also would like your comments um, going back to that. I guess there's always more that one can do, right, as an organization and as an individual. But also going back to your comments about psychological comfort. I think Tracy mentioned, you know, you need almost... Uh, more than 30% of a minority representation to have a voice in a boardroom at a strategy level. My next question is actually a little bit nuanced in the sense of talking a little bit about cognitive diversity. Is, is this something that, that features any of the work that you do? So when we talk about cognitive diversity, 
this is where we're talking about the different perspectives, the different viewpoints. So it's more about thinking and, and what people bring. And to be quite honest, if you have a diverse representation um, in terms of, you know, the physical as attributes of diversity, you will get the cognitive diversity. And I think that for a while, a lot of organizations were pushing that. And some were even using that as an excuse to justify why they didn't have diverse representation in a boardroom. Mm. So yes, we've got a group of middle-aged white men, and this is not knocking middle-aged white men, but I'm just saying that a lot of it you'd start to hear, but we've got cognitive diversity. You know, there's diversity of thinking and diversity of thought, which is true. However, if people's experiences and their groups are exactly the same, you're going to produce that. And that feeds into you know, the different types of biases that we see in the workplace in terms of affinity bias as well. So I think it features, and this is where we have to start recognizing that people's individual experiences are different and people do bring different perspectives as well. But I think that we can get a cognitive diversity when we also push to have equal representation and we shouldn't use it as a cop-out to try and keep others away. No, I appreciate what you said about, you know, differences creating friction and actually probably creative friction for that matter. So in your experience, I don't know now historically we're we dealing more with corporates is now maybe more sort of national government or is it still with corporates? And maybe an example of where you've seen kind of a, co a positive response from an organization on the back of the work that you guys have done. So I think I've literally dealt with all. So, um, you know, one organization, a global organization that I was uh, fortunate to be involved in was Unilever. And following George Floyd, you know, and the murder, they as a company decided to make a response. And so one thing that they did was they ensured that all of their top leaders would go through uh, racial equity training. And regardless of where they were situated, regardless of the country, it was more of creating this understanding of if we are going to start engaging in these conversations, then our leaders need to know exactly how to engage. But also from our workplace, it's about us identifying where we might have missed it, where we could improve. And, you know, that was quite interesting. And one of the things there is, we actually got them to have conversations. We built it in to have conversations with people from a diverse racial or ethnic group from them. And those conversations proved to be very, very useful because this is where they've started to see the importance of cognitive diversity, the importance of, you know, how does somebody feel and how can we create psychological safety? And I've seen it happen in the not-for-profit sector. You know, one of our UN agencies introduced what they called diversity cafe, where they spoke and had coffee with a hundred people within the, you know, the workplace just for leaders to engage with them. And the result of that really started to shift an organizational culture. So I think that if you're committed and you set aside time to make it happen, you'll start to see the benefits. But diversity inclusion doesn't just happen by chance. I think, you know, one of the things we say is, you know, if you've got to be intentional. You've got to be very conscious about your intent because if you're not consciously inclusive, you'll be unconsciously exclusive. So it requires some level of commitment to make sure that you're creating the right culture and the right environment for people to flourish. Yeah, I know chatting to my parents who live in New York, the whole George Floyd sort of um, murder came across that, I guess, me as a white male, that it's always, you know, what can I do 
what can I do to help? What can make it better? But the narrative was flipped in the sense that David, you had to listen now and learn. And you mentioned it earlier, empathy and compassion. And I hope that's something that our viewers uh, take away from today. But unfortunately, that, that's all we have time for, Fadi. But there, there's one thing that you said, um, and I encourage our viewers to go watch your TED talk because it is, it is incredibly interesting, was that um, your goal is to essentially work yourself out of a job. So hopefully yeah, you, you keep your bum in your seat for the foreseeable future. But thank you so much for joining us today and really, really it's appreciate a pleasure. it. Thank you for having me. And good luck with your French if you can't speak French already. Yeah. Au revoir. <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs> Yeah, so a few, I guess, valuable lessons from today is, you know, the empathy and, and compassion that we can all show to one another and just to listen and also try to empathize with your colleagues and see how as an organization you can move forward, as an individual you can move forward. And let's see if we can get the, the social and the economic engine of, uh, of South Africa and the UK to be more inclusive and more equitable going forward. There will be a QR code showing up on your screen shortly and we do, as always, appreciate your feedback. Our speakers are incredibly good, so please be gentle on me today. But thank you so much for joining us. We really look forward to your feedback. And please do look out for our next event, which will likely be sometime in the third quarter. For me, goodbye and take care. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorized collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.